You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. We're in Acts 18 today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. I'm going to go ahead and warn you. We'll move pretty fast. So, I don't know about you, but there are things that fascinate me. I kind of go, well, that's a cool thing. One of those things is on my pickup truck. You know, you're running down the road, and, and, and all of a sudden you see this little icon that lights up in your mirror. And you go, oh, okay. Better not change lanes. I've got somebody here in my blind spot. Now, my wife, of course, she's the more spoiled version of our couple. Her car, not only does it have the icon, but when you put on your blinker, if there's somebody there, it beeps at you. I tell you what, that's pretty cool. It keeps you from moving over on somebody, and it, it's just a great thing. But you know, I was, I was thinking about that, and I thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing as people if we had blind spot indicators? I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm confident I don't have any. But maybe some of you guys have some, right? <laughs> Everybody in my family's laughing. Yeah, you, Papa, you got some blind spots. But wouldn't it be a great thing if we had blind spot indicators so in those areas of blind spots in our life, we kind of knew those were there so we could think about how we would address them. Because those blind spot indicators, what they are, we, we, we think about blind spots because those are those things in our life that are hindrances to us. Maybe they're the, th- they're the things we have issues. Sometimes a blind spot is literally that. It's blind, and we don't know. But... Sometimes we're also the very last to know about our blind spots. You know, we just, uh, you know, we just, we're kind of going through life, and other people see these things, but we don't necessarily see them. And then there's blind spots that we know are there. I may know, I may know that there's a car running back here, but the indicator hadn't come on, and I could choose to ignore that, but that'd be pretty foolish, wouldn't it? But sometimes we know those blind spots occur in our life, but for whatever reason, we just go ahead and just plow through whatever that circumstance is, and we just move ahead. It kind of reminds me of a friend, and, and you know, a rat on my wife, she hates seatbelts. But I had a friend that had even a more creative idea. He hated seatbelts, wasn't planning to wear them, and he got tired of that little red light on his dash. Well, what did he do? Very simple. He just took a piece of black tape and put over the light, and now all of a sudden he doesn't have a light and he doesn't have a warning. But we do that sometimes, don't we? When we're going through life, we run into these things, and it seems like that even though we're the kind out there of something's a little bit off, we just choose maybe not to deal with them. So what I want you to do as we move through Acts 18 this morning, I want you to think about blind spots. Just kind of keep that back here in your mind, that that's kind of our, our thesis, if you will, as we're, we're talking about blind spots. So Paul, he didn't let much grass grow under his feet. He was, he was moving. He had, he had received this commission to share the gospel in a real road, in a, in a, that road to Damascus. You know, that it, it wasn't a, if you want to do this. It was very evident that he needed to do it. And, you know, he had all kinds of problems, but he wasn't going to re- let the repercussions slow him down from still carrying out the ministry. Now, when we catch up with Paul this morning, he's kind of at the back end of his second missionary journey and getting ready to start what's often referred to in Scripture as his third missionary journey because he had some breaks, but then he'd go off to some new places. 
So what we'll find is today is he's going to run into some like-minded people as he's going through this ministry process. Three of those people that we're going to talk about today are Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. Those are three names that are going to come up. And we're also going to see that no matter where they went in their ministry, they ran into resistance. So you ready? You're at chapter 18. I'm at verse 1. Here we go. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. Then he he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, which is a part of what we would think about being Turkey today, who had recently came from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. So those are two of the people we just mentioned. They'd come from Italy because uh, Claudius, who was the emperor of Rome, the Roman emperor, he had ordered all the Jews to leave. So you kind of go, you do a little background and you realize what was happening is there was a lot of distress. There were riots in the street. There were groups that were being raised up, you know, that were anti-Roman. And so he decided, I don't know how to settle that. I'll just tell them all to leave. So these, this couple was one of the couples that had to leave where they were living at the time. Paul went to see him because he had heard that they were tent makers, and he stayed there and he worked with them. Now, for those of you that have been around freedom for a while, you'd understand that out of our 18 years, 16 years of those were literally solely a tent maker world. And what Paul did as a tent maker, that was his skill. So he would, from time to time, stop, work, make some money, feed himself while he was still involved in the ministry. And at Freedom, of course, that's what we've done. It's been heavily volunteer, and it's allowed us. And we, we'll, you, you, you'll hear in some of the things once in a while us referring to ourselves as tent makers because most of us do have other vocations. So in verse 4, it says, Every Sabbath he reasoned with the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes. So what he's doing when, he, when it talks about him shaking off his clothes, they had rejected him, so he's rejecting their rejection, if that makes sense. He's, he's going to say, I'm going to shake off my clothes because anything, even the slightest piece of dust that's landed on me while it's here, I am through. And he goes on and tells them because he says, to, in protest, he said to this group that, that was uh, opposing him, your blood be on your own heads. In other words, you've heard the truth already. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I always think about the uh, carnival acts or some of the things you'll see on TV, and that's kind of the way Paul lived his life. If you've seen the deal, you know where they have the stick, and they put the plate on it, and they spin the plate, and then they put another stick, and they spin it, and about the time they get over here, they've got to go back and get this one, and then they've got to get this one. Well, that's kind of the way he was, because he was not only planning churches, but he was going back, and he was, he was talking to them and saying, how are you doing? He was preaching and encouraging them. He was also, we know that just if you read through the New Testament and how much of it were letters that he wrote, we know that he was also sending letters and encouragement back to them. So he was saying, from now on, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue, in verse 7, he left the synagogue and went down to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, 
do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people, many believers in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Galileo was proconsul, which is really like the governor of Acacia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack, and Paul brought him to, uh, brought Paul to a place of judgment. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in the ways that are contrary to the law. Now remember, what were we going to be, try to keep in focus today? What was our thesis? Blind spots, right? So what we see is we see, we've already seen a couple of evidences in a short period of time that what he was running into, he was running into blind spots. He was telling people the truth. He was presenting the gospel. He was very capable of, of, of mounting the argument that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. But in their blind spots, they absolutely did not want to see it. They didn't want to hear it. And so they created resistance. In verse 14, just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about this misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen. But since it involves questions about words and names of your own law, settle the matter yourself. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd then turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and they beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galileo showed really no concern at all. Now, I'm not suggesting this would be the case, but I do wonder once in a while if our Congress people faced this same kind of thing, what it would be like, you know. You bring a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with anything, maybe it's not even true. Yeah, okay, we'll just take you out in the hall and beat you and see how you like that. I don't think that's probably the way that a good society should conduct itself, but that's exactly what happened here. He said, you have no merit in, in bringing him before me. In verse 18, Paul stayed on at Corinth for some time. Then he left his brothers and sisters, and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by two of his friends, Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut at Cancer. I don't know how you pronounce that, because of a vow he had taken. Now, he was a Nazarite in this particular sense. He's actually a guy, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, if you know about the 12 tribes. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. But what a Nazarite was, was a person who took some specific vows. And they were things like, uh, you know, you abstain from any kind of alcohol. There were several things anyway on this vow list. And he had, he had, he had been in that mode, and, he, and by cutting his hair, he is essentially he was completing what those vows were. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews, even though he'd said, hey, I'm done with you guys. Okay, well, this is a different set. Maybe they'll see things differently here at this new place. So he reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But he left, he promised. He said, I will come back if it's God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. Then he landed at Caesarea. He went up to Jerusalem. Here he is. He's spinning these plates. He went up to Jerusalem and he greeted the church and he went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and he traveled from place to place throughout the, re the region of Galatia and Perea, strengthening all of the disciples. Now, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, 
a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was, he was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor, and he taught about Jesus accurately. Now, we're going to find out in a minute that Apollos has a blind spot. So it says, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, people that were followers of John, if you will, John preached repentance. But you remember that John, you know, if, you, if you kind of rewind back into early Acts and all that, you realize that John was put to death some time ago. And so a lot of what Apollos knew, even though he understood about Christ being the Messiah, and even though he understood that in this situation, you know, that John was preaching repentance and we needed to turn and we needed to accept this Messiah, we need to turn away from our old ways, there was still a lot about the very nature and the life and the things of Jesus he didn't understand. So in 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him, and they wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those by the grace that he had, because he had believed. But for the vigorously, start again, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving the scriptures that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. See, we, we look back at this early church as Christians, and we see several things. Some listened, but didn't heed the warning. I think about the time that there were thousands that Jesus fed. But Scripture tell us, tells us that when he decided to move on, they didn't go with him. You know, maybe they weren't going to be fed, maybe they had other things going on, but, but they chose not to follow him, and they kind of fell back into their own ways. There were others, as we look back at that, that just chose to ignore the gospel. And you ask yourself, why, why would you do that? Why would you have that blind spot? Why would you ignore the gospel? Well, some because they were heavily invested in the Jewish law and its traditions. And so what are they going to do? I mean, some of them were in positions of power. Were they just going to turn their back on everything that, that they thought they represented their whole life? Where, you know, because if you, if you decide all of a sudden, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore because I believe in this Messiah, my life is going to change. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been in a life that was completely different. Maybe you weren't raised in a Christian world. But then all of a sudden, when you decided to make a choice and you decided that you were going to be a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden, it's like you were a pariah. People go, well, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if I can be your friend anymore because your habits have changed, your reasoning have changed. You're not that same person. You're just not fun anymore. But some were heavy, those Jews were heavily invested in the law and the tradition, and they just weren't going to change it. They were, going to, they were going to have those blinders on. And others were maybe like today where they were busy with life, and they just didn't see the gospel message as being either pertinent or necessary in their lives. And others accepted it and fell away. I was uh, looking at, it brought back to me about the seeds on the path, and I was doing some background reading, and I, I kind of way uh, Greg Laurie's a pastor, California pastor, 
and he kind of couched it in four different kinds of things that we'll talk about in just a minute, but he said that there are really four different hearts. So when you have the heart of a hearer, the person hearing a message, there's four different hearts that are, that are involved, four categories. One of them was the hard heart, one's the shallow heart, one's the crowded heart, and one is the fruitful heart. So you'll see that, uh, that in Scripture, there's three of the four Gospels actually tell this story about the parable of the sower. So here I'm just going to read just a little bit of it because I think it's pertinent to the discussion today. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but then they perished, and the sun rose, and they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So let's talk about those, those four kinds of seeds that fell. As, as Laurie said, he said, one of them was the hard heart. And you'll remember that what we just read, it says that, that the seeds were sown along a pathway or a roadside, depending on what your scripture says. And that's for the ones that actually, they heard the word, but they just didn't really give it any regard. They just never did believe. Then there's what he called the shallow heart, and that's the one where the seed fell on stony ground. And that's where, and some of you, maybe you've been in this place, or maybe you've been around people like that, but... You know, they received the word of God, they received it with joy, but then there was really no root. And so what did it do? It withered away. I had a friend one time tell me that he would have kind of been in this shallow heart category. Now, don't pass judgment on him, because let me tell you the rest of the story. Because what he said was, he said that I became a Christian... And I was excited about it. I could see what I needed to do. I knew I needed to repent, but then nobody helped me know what to do next. And he said, so what did I do? I retreated back to what my old life. I retreated back to what had been comfortable to my old friends. And just like the seed, his faith at that time withered. Next, there was a crowded heart. And that's where the seed falls on the ground And then the weeds choke it out. You see that slowly and surely, busy people, what happens to us if we're not careful, all the cares of the world, you know, maybe it's family, maybe it's sports, maybe it's, uh, you know, our workplace, whatever those things are, they start crowding in on those things. And then all of a sudden, they themselves choke out this desire, this seed for the word. Think about where you're at now. And, you know, maybe some of you sitting here today, you go, yeah, that's where I'm at. I got so much going on in my life that when it comes to really thinking about Christ and trying to figure out the priority of Christ in my life, I don't have the time nor the energy left to do that. Finally, there was a fruitful heart that receives the Word of God. It falls on good ground. And all of a sudden, it talked about the 30, 60, 100-fold but all of a sudden it falls on good ground and we realize that in fact there's this, it produces this rich harvest. 
Did you ever wonder why we have blind spots? You know, we're, we're you know, pretty intelligent people. We, you know, we have people around us. We have a lot of, of ways to see things. But, and I think sometimes our blind spots, you know, we didn't set out to have a blind spot. That wasn't what happened. We didn't just wake up one day and say, well, I think I'll have a blind spot that's some kind of a hindrance to my faith or a hindrance to my family or some kind of a distraction that's there. Like Apollos, sometimes the blind spots occur because we just don't know what we don't know. And see, I think that, like Apollos, he was, he was, he, he was all in for Christ, but there was stuff he didn't know. And I think sometimes our blind spots occur because we just don't know what we don't know. And then the next thing we know, we have this blind spot that's occurred in our life. Maybe just life kind of carried us along until we wake up and, and maybe we're in a jam or in an uncomfortable place. Besides not knowing what you don't know, the other thing is we need to understand that we are in a constant war between the flesh and our spirit. We're in a constant war about that. Now, you may think, I'm a mature believer. That's really not who I am. But the reality is that's, that is who we are because our very nature takes us back to me, right? You know, we're born selfish. We stay selfish. And only by the grace of God do we get that in the right priority where, in fact, that's not how we are. But you, one of the things you've got to know, if you're going to think about your blind spots and figure out how do I, how do I make that better, you got to understand that the very nature of, of God and Satan is, it is a war every single day against the flesh. If you don't believe it, just turn on the news for about 15 minutes and you'll get a good dose of it. And perhaps we see the decision to accept Christ as really not all that consequential. I was talking to one of the ladies this morning and we were talking about that because... Some people, when they think about salvation, when they think about this life after this, when they think about living a higher quality life here on earth, a lot of times people, they just, they, they don't prioritize that like they should. Well, I'll get around to that. You know, if everything works out just fine, you know, I'll have time for that. I got a lot of stuff going on. You guys don't know what I got going on in my life. I mean, if you had to contend with half of what I have to contend with, you know, and the list goes on of things like that because we don't see this faith part of our life as consequential as we should. I don't prioritize it as much. Many of you that watch any kind of social media would have seen a, a car that at 100 miles an hour went through a city street just a couple of days ago. 100 miles an hour in a 35 zone killed five people in a fiery crash that they didn't even know what was happening to them. And see, we always think there's tomorrow, there's next year, whatever those things are. But the reality is sometimes we misperceive the consequences of deciding not to live that Christian life. Or maybe just doing it kind of on a, I kind of be like a 30% Christian. That'll get me through the gate, but I still have all this other stuff in my life. You know, I ask myself, I wonder what blind spot I have. I wonder what blind spot I, Tom, have. 
And if, if others expose that blind spot to me, maybe hopefully with love, but if others expose that blind spot to me and said, you know, in your life, and talk to me about it, would I accept it? You know, sometimes blind spots, what they do is they, they, they rob us of relationships. You can kind of, some of you can kind of put yourself there. But blind spots, they can rob us of relationships. You know, we're so, we're so worried sometimes about being right or who's right that we lose track of the bigger things. They can rob us of joy. I mean, if you have blind spots, if you have these things that are these hindrances, these things that drag you backwards, you know, they do steal your joy. I tell you what, if, if, you're, if you're trying to live your life and you say, okay, because you understand that if you're a believer, you're also a saint. If you're a believer, if you're a saint, you're also a minister. That's just, read about it yourself. That's the truth. But you know what? If we let our blind spots take over, then what we do is we diminish the quality of our ministry. We're not near as effective as we could have been if we'd have been dealing with the things that drag us backwards, that hinder us. So ask yourself this, ask yourself, so how do I recognize blind spots? How do I do that, Tom? Well, here's the first thing you need to do, is you need to decide that you even want to be aware of them. Because for some of us, we just kind of rather just kind of meander through life the way it is. But I have to decide that if I've got blind spots, I want to be aware of them. I also have to realize, just like I said a while ago, I have to realize that every single day there's a war between my flesh and my spirit. There's a war between my flesh and my spirit. Some of your wars might be smaller. Some might be big wars. But the reality, every single day when you get out of bed, you're going to make choices. Am I going to follow the Savior today? Or will I follow the world, or will I just kind of find some comfortable place in between and go along to get along? But there is that constant war that we have to understand. I have to ask myself, too, if I, if I want to know something about my blind spots, am I willing to really listen? So if somebody speaks wisdom, if they speak trash into my life, yeah, I don't want to know that. But if I have people that speak wisdom into my life, am I willing to listen? Am I willing to accept that? So many times what we do is when, when we get into a position that we're looking at these blind spots or thinking about our life and know we got something going on here, something that's dragging us backwards, what we do is we want to run it through our what I call our rationalization filter, okay? And your rationalization filter says, well, yeah, but I can rationalize away why I do this, why I act that way, why my relationship's in the dumper. At times we even recognize our blind spots and we make a conscious choice that I'm not going to deal with them. I'm going to be defiant. I know that's a blind spot, and I know that's a bad thing. I know that's something that drags me back. It diminishes my ministry. It hurts my relationships. It steals my joy. But guess what? I'm going to ignore it because I don't want to change. You know, my, my, my state would be, Lord, help me not to do that. Why would I, why would I want, to, why would I want to, to, to minimize the value of a Christian life, not just in heaven, 
But I'm talking about the one that you live here and the quality of that. Here's one more thing, and that is rightly decide the truth. Rightly decide the truth. For some of us, we have a kind of a mixed-up yardstick because what we do is we, we have a filter that we run it through, but the filter we should run it through as believers is what? It should be God's Word, right? That's our filter. If it lines up with God's Word, hey, I'm good. That's my filter. But so many times what we do is we listen and we, we have these other filters in our life. I just think about all the social agendas that are out there right now. Just all the social stuff. And I admit at my age and with my background, and I don't get it. But the reality is if you're younger and you've been kind of, what's, what's a good word for it? Um, but you're younger, and so what's happened is you've kind of been induced to believe certain things. You've been induced to believe thir- certain things because of media, perhaps television, things that are subtle that help us think that these things are okay. But the reality is this. If, when I run it through my filter, and I should do this for a lot of things uh, every day, when I run it through my filter, I should ask myself, does this line up with God's Word? Eric talked about that last week. Coach says he was talking about that very thing. And just because the world says, I mean, frankly, if the world says it's okay, then you really ought to run it through your filter. But for us, what we should do is we should be asking ourselves, Does this line up with God's Word? When I'm making a choice about my family, when I'm making a choice about where I'm going to spend my time, where I'm going to spend my money, when I'm talking about education, whatever those things are, we ought to be asking ourselves, does this line up with God's truth? See, it's pretty easy to look back at the people that were the naysayers. You know, we, we read this chapter in Acts. And it's easy to look back at those naysayers and see those naysayers and say, Well, boy, they were a bunch of hard-headed people. They had the truth right in front of them. They had the Messiah. There were people, there were thousands of people that saw the things that happened. Hundreds of people that witnessed the resurrected body. But they were too hard-headed to accept it. But if we fast forward, forward, we just ask ourselves the same question. Do we accept those things? Is that where we are? Is that the life we choose to lead? Let me ask you something. Can we see if we can agree on these few things I'm going to give you. Can we agree that Jesus was truly the Son of God? Can we agree on that? Can we agree on the fact that he came to earth, he lived in the flesh, and he did that because he can fully understand our experiences? We can agree on that. He was tried, he was sentenced to death, and he died of just a horrible death on the cross on Calvary. Can we agree that on the third day after his crucifixion that he rose from the dead? Can we agree that after he rose from the dead, over the 40 days, There were tens and hundreds of people that saw him, shared meals with him, listened to him before he ascended to the heavens. Can we agree that, frankly, I can do nothing to save myself? I can be the best person. I know a lot of really good people, but there's no faith in their life. There's no understanding of who the Messiah is. But we're saved by grace. It's the grace that 
that Jesus, because of his birth, his death, his resurrection, it's a grace that salvation is offered to us. And salvation is more than just being saved for heaven, but it's being saved so that you understand how good your life can be. Is it going to have a lot of aggravation and misery? Are we going to lose people we love? And so we're, All those things are going to happen. But our life can be so much deeper, so much richer if we do that. Check out your blind spots. Ask God to reveal them to you. Ask him, so, Lord, help me to figure out how to remove them, or at the very least, work on starting to minimize those blind spots in my life. Because what happens is when you do that, you get a great dose of freedom. You get a great dose of freedom in your life. Freedom in general, but also just freedom because now you realize that the Holy Spirit is the one that's doing the work. What I would ask you to do today as I get ready to close is that if there's a bulletin in front of you, a piece of paper, whatever, if you have a blind spot, and you can sign them or not sign them, don't care, tear off a little piece of paper, write down your blind spot. You know, because, you know, Scripture tells us the prayer of a, of a righteous man availeth much. This, this stadium or this building is, is full of righteous people. And, and leadership would take those blind spots, signed or unsigned, and we'd pray about those in your life. All you do is write it down, put it in the offering basket, and it'll find its way to the elders and leaders for us to be praying about. Because it's important, I think, that we understand that blind spots didn't just occur 2,000 years ago. They occur today. And it's important for us to figure out, Lord, I don't want blind spots anymore. I want to see clearly. I don't want to rationalize away the things in my life that are not pure, that are not holy, that are not good. I want to change that behavior. Bow your heads with me as the praise team comes. Father, we do thank you today that uh, you've talked to us about the blind spots we have. It's important, Lord, I think, for, for all of us as we do this to, to just consider the fact that we really do want to live a life that's worthy of our calling. And what's our calling, Lord? If we've accepted you, if we've accepted Christ, Lord, our calling is to get up every day and live for you. To put away the selfishness. It's an everyday deal. We're going to fight against flesh. But every day to get up, Lord, and want to serve you to the best of our ability. We're all ministers. None of us get to put that away. We have, we have that responsibility, Lord. Help us to carry it out as we do. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.